The vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body supplying the much needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Good morning, saints. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. It's good to uh, be here before you again to share with you what the Lord has put in my heart. And of all the times that I have done this in prior times, uh, today for me is somewhat different. Um, honestly, it's somewhat more uncomfortable for me today than days of others. Um, anytime I know that I'm going to be sharing something, I'm always asking the Lord, Lord, what is it you want me to share from your word? What is it you want me to share uh, from your heart? And I was, my, my inclination was, gosh, I haven't shared anything from the new covenant in a while. I've been in the old covenant, gosh, it feels like for four years now. Mm -hmm. From Samuel and the Kings and the Chronicles, and you've heard all that, and Hosea, and uh, I just felt like I haven't touched the new covenant in a while. So I was looking and looking and looking. I didn't find anything that caught my fancy like it usually does. So I, I go to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I don't know where to go. Um, you know, I've been in Isaiah recently. So let me go to Isaiah. And so he, he shows me some scriptures in Isaiah that remind me of words that he's spoken to me, oh my gosh, 15 years or more ago. And I'd like to read a few of them now to just sort of set the stage. It started in Isaiah, but there, there's something that I want to read before that from Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 through 8, he says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not, be fe do not fear nor be dismayed. And so I'd like to start off by saying that we've got to get to the point where we're not reading the scriptures to know what God has done in the life of others. Their history, yes. And their accounts regarding what God has done in other people's lives. But we need to move beyond that level of understanding to a level where we hear it, where we read it, for what He is speaking and doing with us. Now, we continually read scriptures and we, and we sometimes get to the point where we think, well, it's just a retelling of an account of something that God did. But we have to get to the point where we are hearing God for us today and now. And now for what he did for somebody else thousands of years ago. And so with that idea, I want to share with you two other scriptures that he had given me 
before I met my wife, uh, when there was a lot of turmoil and trouble going in my life. And he said in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And these were the scriptures that he brought me back because I was in Isaiah. I hadn't even gotten to chapter 41. I was before that, but as I was sort of skimming through Isaiah, I saw this and I remembered, oh, you spoke that to me a long time ago. And, and it was a clear word that I received for myself. I didn't, I didn't read it as if he was speaking it to somebody through Isaiah the prophet in, in Isaiah's day. When I read this, I received it. I heard the Lord speak it to me. And then it became altogether entirely different. And so I, I bring that up to you because he reminded me, oh my God, that, that's exactly what he has been for me as I thought about my life. He said also, furthermore, in Isaiah 42, 16, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things will I do for them and not forsake them. And that was another scripture that I read that I said, that he's speaking to me. I heard him speak it to me and it became altogether entirely different. And it was a promise to me. And I didn't understand it when I read it back then, but it was made alive. It was quickened to me. Out of all the other scriptures, it was the one that jumped out to me. And I heard clearly when my, my ears and my spirit, whatever you want to call it, I'm not here to, to help you understand what it was to me other than to say that it was profoundly different than every other scripture that I was reading at the time. I heard it for me. And I read these again, and, I, and, I, and I, I realize how, yes, he spoke to me and encouraged me to not fear, because I was in a state at the time that I read this, where I was in fear. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. And he said, don't be dismayed. I am your God. He said, I will help you. He said, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He said, I will lead you in these paths of darkness that you don't know of, that you've never seen before. You don't understand the paths, but I'm going to take you by the hand. He took me by the hand where I was at and led me down a road where I am today. And I could not see farther than the day where I was in. And so I share that with you because we really have to get to the point where we stop Reading it as if this is what the Lord did for someone else. We have to start hearing God for what he's speaking to us now. That's what he did for me back then. And so, I guess, and this is where the uncomfortability part comes in, because if you sit down with me one-on-one -on -one and you just ask me questions about my life, I'll talk. But if nobody's asking me any questions, I'm very happy and content to keep it all to myself. Uh, you see me up here and you may have an impression of me that I like to talk and I like to teach and I like to engage in conversation. And no, not really. You could ask my wife as a witness. I, I could be just fine all by myself. 
and it's just not in my nature, but God has directed me in this path and in this way, and so when I'm called upon, I will. And then there's other moments where somehow the Spirit just comes on me and gets in the moment, and I'll just start speaking, and I don't, won't realize that I didn't intend to do that in the first place. I'm perfectly content with being quiet and just listening to everybody. All the nonsense that I hear almost every day. But I, I guess that's the uncomfortability part because the Lord wants me to share with you about myself. Um, my family. I come from a background where um, my mother was born in New Jersey. My father was born in New York. And both of their ancestry are from Puerto Rico. And um, both of them came to the States, were born in the States, and then for some period of time went to Puerto Rico, were raised there, and then they came back to the States. So I, I, they consider themselves American, but with Puerto Rican nationalistic pride and all this stuff, which I just, I don't have that at all. At all. Um, but to focus on my, my mom's side, my mom had many brothers and sisters. Um, we come from a family that every relationship seemed to have multiple partners. Um, every uncle that I know, every aunt that I know, never stayed with the one man or woman that they were with. I can't even say that they even got married. And there were multiple children from multiple partners. So I have cousins galore on my mom's side. Um, and their children, who are my cousins, um, did the same thing. They all had multiple partners. All had multiple children. Um, I, I don't know of any one of my aunts or uncles on my mom's side that wasn't involved in drugs in some way. Either dealing or using. And... I guess I need to share that with you so you understand that what you see up here doesn't mean I didn't have any experiences. And I'm not saying it to justify myself because every single person here has their own experiences, good and bad. Um, and I'm just, I, I guess I, I don't feel the need because if it were up to me, I wouldn't be here to share any of this. But I feel the Lord prompting me that I need to share this with you so that you understand I guess where I, where I come from and the family that I came from. Um, my mom was a type of person that she didn't want me to be a part of what she knew her family was from. Um, she wanted out of there. And, and it's almost as if she was running away from not just my dad because they were, I mean, I, I was born, uh, excuse me, I guess I was conceived before they got married. I'm not sure if I was born before they got married. Um, but I was that type of child, and they were married for a few years, and then all of a sudden she left New York and went to Tampa. I mean, totally blew my father, just, he didn't see it coming. But she wasn't just running from him, she was running from her family. And like I said, I, they, they were involved in a lot of things in New York. So she moved to Tampa, and, and she raised me there, and, and one of the only things she ever asked my dad was, you don't have to pay for his food, you don't have to pay for his clothes, you're going to pay for his education. And he, she put me in private schools all my life, so I was in Christian schools all my life. Because she wanted me out of that environment. She seemed to know in herself, even though she wasn't a Christian, nowhere near, that that wasn't going to be the best thing for me. And she wanted out of it herself. 
And so we went to Tampa and we stayed there a few years, but she lived her life in a way that was very much like all my aunts and uncles. She didn't have just one man in her life. Um, she had my dad. They were divorced. And I, I could remember at least, well, I found out after she died that she was actually married four times. And one of them I didn't know. So, and there's deeper, you know, stories into that. But she married my, my, my dad, and I knew she had another marriage, and, and I knew she was married to the, to the father of my sister. But I didn't know about this one here. And I, I, I knew who he was, I just didn't know. You know, I don't know why that happened. It's a long story. But that, that's not a big deal. Um, what I'm trying to say is that my mom, even though she wanted to escape, and even though she wanted me out of it, um, she really couldn't lead me in that direction because she was entangled and entrapped in it herself. Um, I, I don't know of an uncle or an aunt that wasn't a part of that life in New York. Um, I have uncles that have died, or one uncle that I know for sure died of AIDS because he was sharing needles while he was using. Um, I have an aunt that murdered her husband and went to jail in Chicago for many years for it. She's out now. But she had lots of children. And all of them, when she went to jail, who did they have? Who brought them up? Different family members, aunts and uncles. And they fell in the same way that she did. It's a, it's a huge, tremendous generational curse in my family of differing partners, multiple children, not staying with one, uh, either getting divorced or just breaking off the relationship because they never got married. Um, and and I, I share that with you because I want you to know that I understand that many of us come from those type of environments. And probably, you know, we describe ours as so much worse. But I, I remember my, my mom trying to get me away from that. Now on my dad's side, it's sad because I can't tell you much about my dad's side. My dad's mom died when she, he was about 12. She had, I think, cancer in her eye. And I just recently found out, just within the last year or so, that she was a nurse. I didn't know she was a nurse. You know, my dad, he's like me. You, talk, you ask him questions about his past and he doesn't remember nothing. But then all of a sudden you start talking to him and he's like, what? What? My grandmother was a nurse? You didn't never told me that. You never asked. And then we go through the exchange and all of that stuff. Um, you know, I found out she was a nurse, but she died when he was really young. And his father, he never knew. Uh, he may have, he has a glimpse of him and what he looked like. You know, uh, my dad's mom was black and my dad's dad was white, he says. And I just found this out a couple days ago that you guys asked him. Somebody asked him just at the dinner table. And he says, well, he was a short man, he was white, and he had this type of hair, and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know any of that, because he doesn't, he doesn't tell me anything. But he doesn't know a lot about his dad. So for me, it's like my genealogy ends there. I, I don't know beyond those two people, because she died, and, and he, who knows where he was. I know more about my mother's family, because they're all alive, and I was closer to them, and stuff like that. So... I guess I'm relaying that to you because I want you to understand where my appreciation of God comes from because I see where he took me out of. I see so much of his hand in my life um, 
that at the time I didn't know it was him. Because my life could have been so much worse. Uh, to be where I have a cousin. I, I remember he was in Florida and there was a bench warrant for him. I don't know what he was running from or running about, but the police wanted him. Um, cousins who did things with their own cousins. Just awful things. And I hung out with them while they did this. Because, I mean, she wanted to escape from them, but for some reason, when she moved from New York to Tampa, it seems like the whole family followed her into Tampa. <laughs> and then when she left Tampa to go to Miami, it's like all of them moved over to Miami. We couldn't get away from them. So I, I guess in Miami, she couldn't go any farther south. She, couldn't, she wasn't going to go to Cuba, and she wasn't going to go to South America, so that was it. You know, she didn't move anymore. They came there, and, and so I had a relationship with them because every weekend I would go there, or I would hang out with my cousins, you know, to the You know, my uncles would say to each other, because they were taking care of me, you, be you better watch it. You better let nothing happen to him because you know Lillian is going to, that was my mom's name, because she would have at them. She would tear them apart. She would. Verbally, I mean, sarcastically, whatever. They were afraid of my mom. Um, and, and so nothing ever happened to me. They didn't offer me anything. Uh, they didn't do any of that because they knew they were going to get it from my... I was like a protected figure in the midst of all this chaos. You know, so they were living in Miami Beach. They were living in the streets and in what you might call the projects or what you might call the ghetto in Miami. And, you know... Um, I understood from a distance what it was to, to live like a person who's half on the streets, half at home, and home in a nice area, which is why they're out in the streets. You know, um, I remember being with my aunt who had uh, three or four kids and her with, a, a, with her husband at the time, and we were all in the same room going to sleep in the middle of the night, and he had a roaring headache, and he was just so angry and tired of the kids asking for this and that. And, you know, I was in a bunk bed with my cousin, and somebody else was up here, and they were in their bed. And he just lit into everyone, screaming and hollering that he was going to take his gun and shoot all of us. And, and he ended himself. I, and I'm, I'm just like, uh, in bed. I, I don't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if he was for real, if this is something that happened all the time. But that was life with my cousins. They had a crazy, crazy life. Uh, it, it wasn't pretty. Um, so, I can't talk any much more about my, my, my dad's life other than I do have a few cousins there and, and their life is a wreck too. You know, I, I come from two families whose lives were a wreck, and they're still wrecks right now. But my, my mom tried to get me away from that, and so the first thing she told my dad, or one of the only things she told my dad, is pay for his education. So I went to private schools all my life. I went to West Hillsboro Baptist School in, in Florida. I went to Lucille's Kindergarten in, 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 in Tampa. And then I went to Miami, Greater Miami Academy. And then I went to Westwood Christian School. And then I went to Miami Christian School. So I've been to Christian schools all my life, and... At this stage of my life, I can look back and tell you that it was a two-sided coin. You would think it was like a really good thing. My, my mom did a great and wise thing, get me into Christian schools. And the, 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 it says it's a two-sided coin because the first side is it laid a foundation of the word in my life. 
I, I remember scriptures simply because I've been to Christian schools all my life, and that's what they did. You know, there's one of our subjects. I remember going through Galatians in high school. But all throughout those years, it was Bible verses. Remember, I memorized Bible verses. And I would go home and memorize them with my mom. My mom would help me. And I would just memorize Bible verses. So I, I, I remember verses in the Bible, not like Bible breath. Um, but I remember, my, I remember verses. Don't ask me to quote them, but I know they're there. And if you give me time, I'll find it. With Esword or not, I'll find it. Because I, I have some, I have a, a feel for it. But the other, um, well, no, the, the first thing is lay the remembrance of the word and a reverence for the word. I developed a reverence for the word. I may not have understood, I may not have been in covenant, but I revered the word as a, this is God's word. And so that was a good thing, two very good things. But the other thing it did, the slash, the other side of the coin is that it, it, it created a false sense of security and false doctrine. Because I didn't get doctrine that was apostolically sound um, but I did get doctrine just like Luther got what he got to come out from the Catholic Church what he had was absolutely true you're saved by grace through faith and then we don't need this and that and, and all of that's true but it's still not founded in apostolically sound doctrine um, I remember going to chapels uh, if you know anything about Christian schools, they have their chapels Thursday midweek or maybe they have a, a week-long special chapel and you're going every week and they're trying to get you to confess your sins and accept Jesus in your heart and, and do all of these things. And, and, and I remember struggling in sixth grade and feeling, uh, I, I need to do it. And, and, and I remember going to do it, you know, accepting Jesus in my heart and now I'm saved. And, and then seventh grade, they did the same thing. And I felt like, well, do I need to do it again? Did I do it right the first time? I wasn't sure, and, and yeah, I was struggling. Should I get up? Should I not? Because in sixth grade, I was at Westwood. And then I went to seventh grade at Miami Christian. And Westwood is very um, strict. Uh, and I had to leave. I would, yeah, it was a bad, bad experience in, in, in Westwood. Um, so I felt like I didn't sure when I need to go at Miami Christian. And, and you, I guess you kind of feel that way when you're young and you're naive and you're stupid and ignorant. And you go from church to church and you feel like you got to do the same thing again. And so I felt like in seventh grade I needed to and then I, I back and forth. And then I, after something happened in eighth grade where I, I believed that, no, I did it. I don't need to do it again. I, I did it. So then I didn't bother with it anymore. But see, it created a false sense of security in me. That, that I, I did what I needed to do and now I'm fine. Yet in my life, I lived it in sin. I lived it the way I wanted to. Um... So, so it had a two-sided coin in me. And, and even going to Christian schools doesn't mean that you are um, protected from what we see in the world, what I see in the world in public schools. Uh, drinking, the drugs, the sex, the fighting. All of that was in my Christian school. I mean, not I mean, if it was on campus, I didn't know about it. Um, but outside of campus, yeah, especially as I grew older in my high school years, yeah, they were drinking. And yeah, there were probably drugs. I wasn't in the midst of it, but I knew that some people were drinking. Definitely sex was going on, and, and, and there were fights. I mean, there were fights on campus, like UFC fights on campus. <laughs> Between these two, I, I still think of them as idiots. You know, these two idiots just wanted to go at each other. They're, he's going to martial arts, and he's going to martial arts, and they want to have at each other. See, it's just macho nonsense. Um, but we had that in school. But drinking, drugs, sex, and fighting... I didn't need to go to Christian schools to have that because I saw that at home. 
And I won't get into details, but I saw every single one of those things in my own home. With the relationships that my mom was having with this guy and that guy. I mean, it was there. Things that I should have never seen, I saw. All, I can remember all the way back to Tampa, where, where I was between five and seven years old. I saw things I should have never seen. I was exposed to things I should have never been exposed to. And I remember even more stuff in Miami. Again, relationships my mom was having. Again, she wanted me out of it, but she couldn't lead by example because she wasn't out of it herself. And so the things I saw that she did, and, and I was burdened for my dad and mom in different ways. I was burdened for my dad, oh my gosh, since I was probably eight or nine, spiritually. I was burdened for his salvation, spiritually. Not so much my mom. It's not that I didn't care for my mom, but I had more of an affinity with my dad. He was the one that I longed for because I only saw him maybe once a year. And so his salvation for me was a, was a tremendous concern. Not so much for my mom. My concern for my mom was naturally. It seemed like when I was young, I sensed that if my mom didn't do something to change her ways... And I, I, I can't say I concluded this back then, but I just seemed to have there was a danger there. And, and it came to pass. You know, I, I was, my, my dad, he had smoked early on. I remember that happening in New York, but he stopped. And he started getting active and fit. And so, again, naturally, I, I wasn't worried about him naturally, but my mom, I was. She had two slip discs in her back. She had asthma. She was near diabetic like her, her, her mother. Um... She wasn't of the right health, yet she did things in her life that made it even worse. Just, you can imagine, I, it, when I say that, for a person to die at the age of 40, because that's when she died. And I'm one year away from 40. I, I can't imagine. I, she must have lived a life that took a toll on her body. And she was a single mom. Even though she had relationships, I would say for the most part, she was a single mom trying to make it. Trying to make it and, and, and have this child, me, with her and make it with me. Um, so it was a struggle. And so I guess I have a burden when I see single moms because I know how hard it was. And I was just one. I, I, I see single moms with more kids than just one. I can't imagine how hard that is. Um... But going through all of that and realizing all of that, I guess I come to the realization that trauma, the traumatic experiences that we have in life, can be very destructive, very debilitating, handicapping to one's growth in his future. And, and I, I, I kind of think we forget that. We, we forget how... Because we don't understand it because we didn't go through exactly what they went through. But nevertheless, everyone has had some type of traumatic experience or exposure of something. And we kind of forget how, what kind of effect that could have on that individual. And we wonder and we, we, we think about why are they doing that? Why are they presently doing these things and making... And we just don't understand what they've been through that's causing them to make these decisions. It's not an excuse. I'm not making excuses for people. I'm just saying I think we fail to recognize that sometimes. And so we get frustrated with, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? What's wrong with them? Um, 
But even though I had Christian schools all my life, when my mom died, she died when, uh, when I was 20. She was 40. Um, it was totally unexpected. Um, uh, for that year afterward, I had a mortgage on my hands. I was the one living there. My stepfather took my sister to Puerto Rico, and that's it. They were there. And, uh, you know, so I had issues with him because he wanted me to sell the house and blah, blah, blah. But it was the only place I had to live. I was going to college full-time, working part-time, and doing all of these things. And it, it became very difficult to have a house mortgage on my own. And I needed to have a roommate. And I became desperate. And in my desperation, I was about this close from having two lesbians live in my house so that I can pay the mortgage. And I showed them the house. They were from FIU. I, I knew one of them and I knew she had a partner. And, and you know, I considered myself a Christian at the time. I wasn't in covenant. But sometimes desperate things in our life cause us to, to tinker with ideas that we never would. Just because of our desperation. It causes the rise of the temptation to compromise. Um, and again, I, I, my life could have been so much worse. And I had a friend from high school, Christian Bell. He was the best man at my wedding. And I think he heard over the phone that I was going to get two roommates, and I think he was asking me about it. And I said, I told him frankly, and he was like, silence on the phone. He just, I guess, dropped his jaws. Like, when are they coming? I said, oh, they're going to come and check out the house today. So he made it an effort to come to my house when they were there. And so while they were searching around the house, he came into my room and he just looked at me and says, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. And I knew deep down inside not to do it. I knew it, but I was desperate. Uh, so that caused me to have more turmoil with this person and, and she thought so bad of me and so ill of me and Oh, uh, it's, it's those times where sometimes we need to be reminded of the truth. We need to be encouraged into truth. We need to make sure that, that we need to be close to somebody that's sane. Somebody in the body that, that can speak to you the words of wisdom you need to hear because you know it, but because of the desperation, you feel like this is the only way. Eventually, I did it, but... You look at me now and you probably would never think I would ever do such a thing. Yet I did. I seriously considered it. It was, it was about to happen. I mean, about to happen. So, I, I, I've been trying to meditate on what does the Lord want me to tell me about my past. Um, and as I was doing that, I was sitting on the couch, sitting on the, re the recliner and thinking, um, our present state right now, whether it's a good state or whether it's a bad state, is a product or is a direct result of all of the good and the bad experiences that we've had in the past and our responses or our reaction and the decisions we've made regarding that thing that happened. And I guess the Lord was showing me, as I know I now need to share with you, that we need to not forget the impact that experience in the past can have on a person's life. 
Not to excuse it. Because we all have the power of choice. The power of choice is the most powerful thing that God has given us as human beings, is to choose good and bad, to choose right from wrong, to choose life or death. We always have that choice. It's the most powerful thing that we have that He's given to us. And it's not to excuse it, but sometimes we forget and we neglect to realize and appreciate what a powerful impact those experiences have on, on people around us and how they're causing them to bend in a direction that they know, that we know, that's not the right direction. What are you doing? Are you crazy? So, I remember in... I remember making a book of, of quotations and words of wisdom, but one of them was my own that... And, and I learned way back when. I was still in college. I learned to never expect someone to do what you would have done in their position or circumstance. I kept getting upset at people in college and say, what? How could you do that? What's the matter with you? I would never do such a thing. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? And, and I just kept getting frustrated and I come to the realization I can't expect other people to do what I would have done in their position because their experiences are completely different than mine and it causes them to make decisions that to you are completely irrational and to them they're completely rational even though they're not. And so the way that we minister to them, the way that we deal with them, the way that we try to help them, is it's got to be rooted and grounded in wisdom from God. Because only God can get through all that tangled mess of our past. To, to, to God, you know how hard it is to untie a knot when it's a big rope and, and it's just jumbled all over. It's so hard. You'd rather just cut the string and say, forget it. And that's how we are with people. And only God will take the time loop it around back this way and do that thousands of times to get it all unraveled and so that you have your rope again. He won't want to cut it. So he, he brought me, oh gosh, he brought me to, he brought me to remembrance the two times that I heard the Lord's voice so clearly as a bell that there's no one here that could ever convince me otherwise. I was praying for someone and I know I've said this before but there's no people here so Bear with me. Um, I was praying for my boss's husband. My boss at Tropical Federal Credit Union. I, I worked with her. She was, um, you know, she worked tightly with me. We were in a really small office, you know, about a third size of the room. That was it. That was our office right there in the back, sideways. And you just talk people. She was behind me doing the loans, and I was doing all of the teller transactions and all this stuff. But anyway, so her husband had a heart attack, and uh, she had to leave work early. And I, I had grown really close to her. She was a really good boss to me. She was Hispanic, and so she had that Hispanic flavor to our relationship and stuff. But I remember going home. I remember it was burdening me because I didn't want anything to happen to her husband. And I just began to cry, and I began to intercede for him and, and just wanting him not to die, wanting God to move uh, on, on our behalf, you know, if you will. And I remember hearing like an echoing voice. I don't know if it's like the sound of many waters, but I heard him say, I've heard your voice. And I stopped crying like that. I, I just, I didn't feel the need to pray anymore. And when you hear God say something like that to you, it just humbles you that he's listening to you. I, it still hits me. He listens to me. 
It's hard to accept because I know where I've come from. It's hard to understand how God could be that way with me when I look at myself and I say, I don't deserve that. But he's like that with me. Another time I heard his voice. Clear as a bell. No one can take it away from me. We had left the first church that I had met Bishop in. Had issues with the pastor that was there. I was in another church and I was struggling in my faith walk because of experiences that have happened in my past. And I couldn't figure out how to move forward. Couldn't figure out how to tell my wife about it. Couldn't figure out what to do. So I called Bishop. And he gave me words of wisdom. But before I called him, yeah, it was before I called him. Because I had tried to talk to somebody else and that just fell flat. I mean, it was just almost crushing. I had shared someone what, what happened. And he was like, I got almost like no response. And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Exposing myself like this. And that's another reason why I probably don't want to talk about my past. So anyways, um, I'm downstairs in my townhouse. My wife is upstairs. I think she's resting or sleeping. And I'm talking to the Lord, just trying to figure out why did we have to leave? Why was that so painful? Why, why was that so hard? Why does it still hurt? And I heard him say, to save you and your family. And I was crushed again. And I immediately knew I had to go upstairs and I had to tell my wife everything that had happened. So I eventually did that and that started me on the road back. I had to tell her exactly what had taken place in the previous ministry because it had gotten to where I felt like I couldn't move at all. I just, just was stuck. But when I did that, spoke with her, that started allowing me to move forward. Then I spoke to Bishop afterward, told him the whole situation. He gave me some wisdom of direction of what to do and where to go from there and did all of that and, and realized that I confronted it and now I don't have to deal with it anymore. I can move on and I don't have to feel the guilt. And I, I, don't, I don't get emotional right now out of guilt. I, I get emotional right now because of how loving and merciful he's been to me just messed up decisions messed up being taken advantage of and just still being able to move on without any shame or guilt so here I am just a couple days ago I think it was Thursday or Friday night thinking about all of these things that I've been through and uh, carnally I think back on them and say boy am I lucky Carnally, I say, boy, am I lucky, gosh. But spiritually, I know that I am incomprehensibly blessed. Go look at the dictionary of what incomprehensibly means. That's exactly how it feels spiritually. I, I, there's no way to describe it. It doesn't make any sense, but I know that I'm incomprehensibly blessed. I think on all the things that I've done, I think about all the things I failed to do. So many times that where I was taken advantage of, even much, much younger than what happened during that time that I just described. I remember being taken advantage of even younger than that. Um, I think of the things that I've done or not failed to do now, presently. I failed. I failed in different ways. And I, I was sitting on the recliner. I'm getting to it. 
I'm sitting on the recliner, and I said to myself, who am I to deserve such merciful treatment? I'm saying this in my mind because I'm speaking with the Lord, and I say, how did I come to find such grace and favor in His sight? I said that. I, I said it in my mind. I said it in my heart. And then I heard. <laughs> Noah did. Why should my love for you be any different? That's what I heard. Lord, again, just awed. Can't explain how I felt in that moment. The kids were downstairs. I don't know what they were doing with my wife. And I was just alone because that's how I like to study. And I was typing and this is what was happening all at the same time. And I'm... It's not like I spent hours and hours with the Lord in His presence or anything like that. He just spoke as I was speaking to Him. And it doesn't happen very often, but gosh, those three times are the most memorable experiences of, of having that kind of uh, communion with Him. So I find myself realizing that I am a part of a list of Noah and David and Mary. All of them have been declared from heaven to found favor with God. So it's not hard for me to understand. You guys remember when we were doing the baptism in the Spirit for the four kids that came. And I said some things prophetically over them. I feel it was the Lord's heart and I just said them. One of my kids afterward speaking with them was like but that's not me that doesn't make any sense I'm not doing that I so I, I, I'm talking with them and, and they're telling me this and I'm just like you don't you don't understand something and I I, I told one of my children that God he's amazing how he deals with us presently in the moment and the state that we're in but him being God, he deals with us from a perspective that's entirely different than ours. Entirely different. Because he deals with us from a perspective in knowing the end from the beginning. When we only see what we are right now. So when he speaks to us and he speaks these words, and I had to tell my child this, I said, could you go and get out and read Gideon? Just read it. And so I said... What did Gideon do that God would say, well, he's a mighty man of valor, and he's all strong and brave and blah, blah, blah. And like, he didn't do anything, did he? No. So, how, so, so did God lie? Did, 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 did God, is, is God just tricking him? No. He's dealing with Gideon from a perspective that Gideon doesn't understand because he only sees himself in the present state, but God sees exactly what Gideon is going to do. He deals with him from a perspective of the end. And so we kind of describe that as he's, he always deals with us through the blood. He doesn't deal with us the way that we see ourselves in our faults and our mistakes and our weaknesses. He deals with us through the blood because the blood has already cleansed us. And by the blood, he's already forgiven us. So he speaks to us prophetically of things that we don't have any comprehension that we could ever even do such a thing. But he speaks it anyway as if it already was. What an amazing God. That he could tell you exactly what you're going to do without you having any inkling of trying to go in that direction to do it. So I'm telling my child, he knows what we will and will not do in our future. 
even when we don't know it. And he speaks prophetically to us about things that are not present, but as if they already were. If for him it's in the past, but it's referring to our future. And so there you have the past, present, and future all taken care of by a God that knows how to deal with us in our present state, but dealing with us as to where we're going to be, where he knows we're going to be. It says in Isaiah 46.10, he declared the end from the beginning, from the ancient things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel, my words, my declarations, they shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So it doesn't matter what my circumstance is. It doesn't matter where I find myself in, even if I'm in a point where I'm about to accept two lesbians in my home. Because I remember her saying, you know, as we were kind of breaking up, it wasn't like we were going out. It's just the, the breakup where it's just like, now I can't go into your house and da 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 da. So you have no idea how much love we would have shown you. <laughs> I can only imagine what that would have been and what that would have sent me towards. But thank God that my God's counsel shall stand and he will do all of his pleasure. He says in Romans 4, 17 at the end, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's my kind of God. It says in Revelations nineteen ten, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And although it's not in my nature to go talk about all the things that have happened to me to everybody else, and I don't, I'm very particular, and I only talk about things that I think are necessary for ministry or for a particular individual, I also need to remember that the testimony of Jesus in my life is a spirit of prophecy. It is prophetic. And it's the same for you. Every, every testimony you have of Jesus about your life is a spirit of prophecy. It could be about the past, it could be about the present, it could be about the future. Moses said things when he wasn't there about the past. It was prophetic. Because he wasn't there to talk to see creation and how it happened. It, nevertheless, it was prophetic because it was a testimony of what Jesus did. Amen. And the same thing is about our lives. We all have a testimony of Jesus. And it is prophetic. Do you realize that? And although to me... A lot of my testimonies are powerfully important to me. I don't think they have any effect on anybody else. That's just me. <laughs> I think very less of my experiences. They impress me, but I don't think if I told everybody that they would impress them. That's just me. But nevertheless, God says that my testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. And so that's why he shall me share this with you today. I guess he wants you to know that your testimony is important. And it needs to be shouted from the rooftops. Because he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Lift me up. Let people know what I've done for you. Let people know what I've done for your life. Even though you may get mockers and scoffers. Jesus said, I will not judge you. What will judge you? My words. You'll not judge them for not believing what Jesus did in your life, but the fact that they heard your words and didn't receive them, that's going to judge them in the end. Amen. We walk just like Jesus did. If we walk in his calling as the son of man and the son of God. Not the son of God, but we are a son of God. Amen. 
We are a son of man, just as he was. And the effect that he had on, on earth is the same effect that we can have. You just got to realize that. Got to come into that understanding. So I leave that with you. Sorry for the emotionalism, because I'm not usually like that. But that's what the Lord had me to say to you today. Amen. Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and were blessed, pass it along to a friend, an enemy, a co-worker, a stranger, by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. 1. Pray for us. 2. Leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And 3. If you so desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash jbenjesus. That's paypal.me forward slash jbenjesus. God bless.